Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. An epic story by George Lucas, featuring a young, naive farmer who leaves his family behind. He meets a roguish, wisecracking warrior, a princess fighting for justice, two comical sidekicks and an elderly guide. Together, they fight against a villainous ruler to ensure the Chosen One rules supreme in a story set a long time ago. But not in a galaxy far, far away? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. I'm Em, and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 16 on Willow. So before I start, I want to say a few things. The past week has been so incredible for me. I've been so humbled by the popularity of recent episodes like uh, The Matrix, no doubt bolstered by the news of a fourth sequel starring podcast favourite Keanu Reeves and my quest to get him included in all of my episodes at the moment continues. And also John Carter, which has also been getting quite a lot of love on the downloads, which is incredible and wonderful and so, so humbling. I always like to kind of start these episodes with stuff that I've been doing because I don't just kind of do these episodes and nothing else. I do occasionally guest on other people's podcasts and this weekend I guest it on For Your Reference with Katie and Oti, two incredible podcasters and incredible people in general um, where we talked about Bridget Jones. Um, me being the closest thing to a real life Bridget that they know um, and honestly those two are amazing. Um, we talked so long after the record button went off and I think that episode should be out soon if not already by the time this one comes out. I'm not sure but they are wonderful. I would highly recommend their podcast. They are two of the most amazing, brilliant, spontaneous wonderful people that you'll ever listen to um they are marvelous um and a great couple just generally um also um pulp cereal and i attempted to get together on skype um he wanted to do one of his one-on-one -on -one interviews with me which he's done with quite a few other podcasters 
But unfortunately, we had quite a few technical difficulties um, and we couldn't actually get around to fixing them in time. So we're going to reschedule that for another time. Honestly, I feel like I'm doing everything everywhere right now. Um, September is definitely going to be more chilled. Um, I'm going to be going back to an episode every other week, which really for my sanity needs to happen. Um, I'm very excited about the two episodes that I currently have lined up for September and the couple of guest slots I have booked on other shows. But Orgstravaganza has been really hard work. It's been fun and it's the best thing that I've ever done, but really hard. Um, So I hope you've enjoyed listening to the episodes I've put out as much as I've enjoyed doing them. And I hope this will be no different. For the penultimate episode of Orgstravaganza, I give you Willow. From the creator of Star Wars. From the director of Cocoon. A world is awakening. Why, with the strength of my great army, can you not find one little child? It's a dangerous world. That's why we need your help. Your journey has just begun. Willow. Heroes come in all sizes. But adventure doesn't come any bigger than this. Find the child. Find the child. We are not afraid of you. After them! You're gonna get us killed. Adjust them completely. Great adventure. You are great. Willow. Coming in May. Okay, plot summary for Willow. In the land of Tirasleen, Queen Bavmorda is told of a prophecy whereby a baby girl would bring about her downfall. As a consequence, she imprisons all pregnant women looking for a special child born with a birthmark. A baby is born with the mark, and to save her, her desperate mother begs the midwife to escape with her. The midwife reaches the river and sets the baby down on a makeshift raft to float away before being viciously attacked by Nokmar hounds. The baby is rescued by the children and wife of kindly Nelwyn farmer Willow Ufgood. And as the family fall in love with the beautiful red-headed baby girl, Nokmar hounds attack the Nelwyn village. And after the villagers suspect they were after a baby, the elders send Willow on a quest to return the child back to the Daikini humans. At the Daikini crossroads, they meet Mad Martican, a prisoner desperate to escape, who offers to take the baby for them. Willow then realises the baby has been stolen by brownies, small human creatures. Willow is confronted by their queen, who tells him the baby is Princess Elora Danan, and she has chosen Willow to be her protector. Willow, along with Mad Martigan and a pair of brownies, must keep Elora Danan safe from the forces of Queen Bavmorda, led by her daughter Saoirse, as they fight many mythical beasts along the way. The cast for this film, so we have Val Kilmer as Mad Martigan, Joanne Wally as Saoirse, Warwick Davis as Willow Ufgood, Jean Marsh as Queen Bavmorda, Patricia Hayes as Finn Raziel, and Kate and Ruth Greenfield and Rebecca Behrman as Alora Danan. The movie was directed by Ron Howard 
and written by George Lucas um, with the score by James Horner. More on that in a bit. So brief production. Well, I say brief. It's not going to be brief. You know me. Production history on uh, Willow. George Lucas actually came up with the concept entitled Munchkins in 1972. The similarities to Star Wars aren't really accidental. During the filming of Return of the Jedi in 1982, he approached young Warwick Davis. He was then only 12 years of age. He was in that movie as Wicket the Ewok to potentially star in the eponymous tale of Willow Ufgood. Lucas specifically wanted Davis for the role. He described his vision as, I thought it would be great to use a little person in a lead role. A lot of my movies are about a little guy against the system. And this was a more literal interpretation of that idea. The film sat as an idea for several years as other fantasy family movies came and went. Pulp favourites like Flash Gordon in 1980... The Dark Crystal in 1982, Krull in 1983, The Neverending Story in 1984, Legend in 1985, Labyrinth in 1986. Warwick Davis returned as his character Wicket in the 1985 fantasy spin-off Ewoks The Battle for Endor. Movies set in a faraway fantasy land aimed at children but also their parents with swords, monsters, damsels in distress and heroic men were a mainstay of 80s cinema and also my childhood. But it's safe to say that none of these movies really set the box office alight, apart from The Dark Crystal, which was a modest success. In fact, many of those movies flopped in cinemas and they only found popularity on their home video releases or ended up gaining a cult following much, much later. Many of them are actually referenced in newer works, such as with Stranger Things and Limal's theme song from The NeverEnding Story. Their box office disappointments did not help Willow, of course, but we'll come back to that. So fantasy as a genre claims much of its DNA from the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. You have epic fantasy lands, a multitude of complex and interesting characters, mythical beasts and scenarios, the literal interpretation of the little guy. So in Tolkien's works, the hobbits themselves being the hero. Not all fantasy movies follow this rough outline more so than Willow. And I don't say that to demean Willow, but just to give context as the fact that this is really a story a lot older than all of us. Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy remains one of the greatest trilogies ever made. And for good reason, for a movie like Willow to be reminiscent of it is more of a compliment than anything. But I think people still give Willow a short shift when it comes to fantasy 80s movies. Anyway, going back to Willow, George Lucas had a very specific idea for how he wanted Willow to look and feel. He wanted it to feel unique, to really bring people into this world, and he wanted to utilise state-of-the-art visual effects to bring that vision to life. One of the many reasons we didn't see Willow sooner than 1988 was simply the fact that this technology either didn't exist or just wasn't up to Lucas's standards. During a chance encounter at Industrial Light and Magic, overseeing the post-production of his movie Cocoon, Ron Howard was approached by George Lucas about the possibility of directing Willow. The two had previously worked together on American Graffiti and so had a previous working relationship, albeit as director and star rather than writer and director. Ron Howard suggested Bob Dolman to write the screenplay based on Lucas's story and the three men met at Lucas's Skywalker Ranch during the summer of 1986 with pre-production on the movie starting later that year. As I mentioned, the fantasy genre in cinema in the 80s had not had the most successful run and because other big-budget fantasy movies had struggled, no major studio was actually willing to fund Willow, despite its writer being none other than George Lucas. 
who just had major Hollywood success never before seen with his Star Wars trilogy, a set of movies that changed the face of the movie industry with not only ticket sales, but also massive merchandising that had never been seen before. And say what you will about George Lucas, about his love of special effects and inserting them into older movies that no need them. But when he set up Lucasfilm, he didn't just set up a movie studio. He had the idea to infiltrate several industries in order to make profits elsewhere. So if the movie side wasn't as successful as he'd hoped, Lucasfilm could divert funds from other places. So, for example, Lucasfilm had a computer games division. It had Industrial Light and Magic, which was its special effects division. Industrial Light and Magic obviously worked for other studios and was pretty much at the forefront of technology. It also had its THX sound system, which they sold to cinemas across the world, as well as its incredibly lucrative licensing division, which dealt with all the merchandise. It was these divisions and the money they made individually, as well as a partnership with MGM under the leadership of Alan Ladd Jr., who had a personal friendship with Lucas after they worked together on Star Wars, which enabled George Lucas to make Willow by getting him the funds that he needed to do so. Principal photography started in April 1987 and ended in October. It was shot in location in Wales and, interestingly, on the Lord of the Rings comparisons, also in New Zealand, which I get because it's truly one of the most beautiful and naturally diverse countries I've ever visited. Um, Some of the shots at the Nelwyn village were shot in forests around the Skywalker Ranch. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the effects. Everyone knows how much I love effects, especially practical effects. But I also do like other effects as well. Um, I love animation. I love stop motion, for example. And although the effects look fairly rudimentary, I guess now, if you compare them to the CGI effects that we're so overly saturated with in today's movies, but they really are absolutely incredible, well worth talking about and Oscar nominated. So although some of the most famous effects in Willow were digital and we'll come on to Finn Raziel specifically in a bit, this is a movie that encompasses multiple effects techniques in one picture. You've got animatronics, stop motion, miniatures, animation, oversized sets, blue screen compositing, rear projection, as well as ILM's innovative 2D transformation system called Morph, which is M-O-R-F, which was specifically used for Finn Raziel. And this was the brainchild of Dennis Muran and Doug Smythe. Finn Raziel's morphine scene, where Willow's attempting to restore her human form by casting a spell, was made using a mixture of animatronics, puppets, real-life animals and a human woman. The idea that Willow can transform a goat into an ostrich, into a peacock, into a tortoise, into a tiger, and then into Finn Raziel herself, was a landmark in computer graphics at the time, and also digital visual effects history. So the goat into an ostrich was mostly done by animatronic goat, which had a stretchy neck. And the human puppeteers would work to get it on its hindquarters, where the creature would then kind of morph into an ostrich by they would basically stretch the neck up. And then the peacock and each animal was captured on this morph system as a series of images rather than actually computer generating the animals, which just wouldn't have had the same realistic look that they were going for. So essentially, the morph system uses a grid and it places this grid over each image and it just shifts the pixels around until one image becomes another. Although it sounds really simple now with the technology that we have in our everyday computers at work and laptops, this was a massive breakthrough in 1988. You just had to make sure that your reference points matched. So your head becomes the head, the leg becomes the leg, etc. 
Ultimately, the morph software used to create the imagery in Willow would go on to be used in some of the biggest movies at that time, such as Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which is still seen as one of the greatest effects movies of all time. Additionally, a lot of the movie contains hand-drawn animation. So every time something magical is on screen, such as Willow's glowing wand or Queen Bavmorda's ultimate demise, this was all painstakingly rendered on each frame by hand. And it had to be consistent across the whole movie as well. You couldn't have Willow's wand glowing blue in one scene and then slightly different in another. It always had to be consistent. The tiny brownie folk also had their own issues as they had to appear at one with the rest of the scene and they always had to be at scale. And the interactions the brownies have with the world around them are some of my favourite things about this movie. And much of it was done via blue screen and or using camera trickery and sort of scale sized props. And then there's the Ebelsisk. So this creature was named after the movie critics Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. And it was created by Phil Tippett. The same Phil Tippett, you had one job, Phil, dinosaur supervisor from Jurassic Park. Apparently he hates that, but I'm saying it anyway. So Phil Tippett is a man who started his career in stop motion on Star Wars and moved into computer generated effects actually in Jurassic Park. The Ebelsisk started life as a dragon in a cave, but eventually the movie had to be simplified because it was costing too much money. And so the dragon became the two-headed Ebelsisk presumably after its namesakes. And it was a stop motion creature that Willow inadvertently creates by placing a spell on a really, really frightening troll. I hate the trolls in this movie. They scared the bejesus out of me. Anyway, the Edelsisk itself is one of the more memorable creatures from the movie. A movie which, despite being a family-friendly fantasy movie, does not shy away from the scares. As I mentioned, the trolls... Also, the Nokmar Hounds, um, which wore Rottweilers wearing masks. Um, and there's nothing more scary than a dog coming towards you wearing a scary mask. Not that that happens to me, but if it did, then I'm sure I would be petrified. And those really do tip the scales between the sort of child-friendly and not so child-friendly. The Ebelsisk terrified me as a child. And anything with teeth will generally do that. So a two-headed thing with teeth is literally fear personified for me. The Ebersisk consisted of stop-motion animation along with practical effects. And anyone who's seen a making of any stop-motion animation movie ever made will know it's long-winded. There's so much trial and error. It is an absolute art. And ultimately, the dwindling budget and technological constraints led to the showdown with the Ebersisk not being as epic as Lucas originally wanted. But the effect still looks great today, as does most stop motion effects. And if you need proof, go and watch some Ray Harryhausen movies, Jason and the Argonauts, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, um, two of my personal favourites. As I mentioned, the movie was costing quite a lot of money. It actually is reported to have cost between $50,000 and $100,000 a day, with the air travel alone costing $1 million. And George Lucas was angered by critics who ultimately focused on these excessive costs of Willow as being self-indulgent and sloppy. Critics also blasted the storyline as being similar to Star Wars. But Lucas insisted that while Star Wars was about fatherhood, that Willow was ultimately about the women. 
And although the titular character, who's a man, plays an important part, Lucas believed the story to be about the sorceress Queen Bavmorda, her daughter Saoirse, and the fight between them of the future of Allura Danan, the baby girl destined to be the ruler of this world. Which is interesting because I actually find Queen Bavmorda and Saoirse to be the least developed characters in this movie. I want to touch on Warwick Davis because... He is an absolute legend of British cinema, really. He's a man who starred in some of the most well-known movies and franchises of all time, Star Wars and Harry Potter, mainly. And he still doesn't seem to get his due. He was 18 during the filming of this movie, which is amazing in itself because his charm and charisma belie his youth. And he completely carries this movie. His willow is naive and lacks in self-esteem, which grows during his journey and his experiences caring for Laura Danan. But ultimately, he's just a family man who wants to return to his farm, his wife and his children. He has great chemistry with Val Kilmer um, as Mad Martigan, who sports a slight but noticeable limp in some scenes. And the audio commentary actually mentions that he injured himself whilst being caged at the Daikini Crossroads. So the chain holding the cage broke as Kilmer was under it, which landed on his foot. But his sort of slightly crazed, tough warrior Mad Martigan plays off so well against the sensible, honest, sweet-natured Willow. It's a role that John Cusack was originally up for, but they felt Kilmer personified Mad Martigan. And honestly, if you look at a guy like John Cusack, who generally kind of plays nice in most movie roles, against someone like Val Kilmer, who's maybe a bit more edgy, I think Val Kilmer is definitely the better person for the role. And Val Kilmer had great chemistry with Warwick Davis, but it's something that John Cusack still regrets not getting. And despite Willow being the title character, and Warwick Davis himself having the most screen time, Kilmer was actually the biggest star at the time, and so he ended up getting top billing over Warwick Davis, which was a decision that George Lucas, on record, does not agree with. Joanne Wally, as Saoirse, falls for Mad Martigan enough to persuade her that her mother's quest to kill this innocent child isn't the path to follow. Although you could argue that just knowing someone wants to kill a baby is probably enough to actually know this. But Interestingly, um, I mentioned earlier that I found that Saoirse didn't have much of a character development and there's actually a deleted scene which explains Saoirse's decision to switch sides in more detail. So in this scene, she discovers her father was turned to stone by her mother and her father, whilst encased in stone, communicates with her to side with Mad Martigan and Willow and to help protect Allura Danan. And this kind of explains a bit more why Saoirse is so quick to switch sides and that it's not just because Val Kilmer is incredibly suave and good looking, even though he is. And the chemistry between Wally and Kilmer is apparent on screen and off because they married soon after filming. Unfortunately, they've since divorced. And finally, Allura Danan, the star of the movie in so many ways, probably one of the cutest baby actors ever. Her smile just lights up every screen and she is just the most beautiful baby. And yes, the baby is wearing a wig. It was attached using syrup. There is no way a baby of that age would have so much hair. The credited baby actors were twin sisters Kate and Ruth Greenfield. However, as the production carried on, they grew too big to be carried in the backpack Willow has them in. 
So Rebecca Behrman, who was the infant niece of the assistant director, Jerry Toomey, then kind of stepped in for an uncredited role of Allura, along with several of the baby girls, depending on which country they were filming in. They also had animatronic babies for the action scenes because you can't have a real baby in a runaway carriage, for example. And I don't usually talk about scores, but James Horner's beautiful score really depicts the magic and adventure of the movie. I'll admit, I sat down to watch Willow for this episode and I was crying within minutes. The music is so beautiful. The music made me cry. Literally nothing else made me cry. Obviously, you know, they were about to kill a baby and, you know, the midwife escapes with the baby, etc, etc. It's quite sad, but it's not crying sad. Um, It's the score. It's so beautiful. It just gets me every time. When it was released in the US on May 20th, 1988, it placed number one at the box office in its first week. But then it faced competition from Crocodile Dundee 2, Big and Rambo 3. The international box office is actually unknown. Whenever I search for box office numbers, it usually gives me domestic, which is US, and international. But there are no international figures for Willow, which is interesting. So its US takings were $57.3 million against a $35 million budget, which, whilst it wasn't a massive success, it wasn't a massive failure either. Because like with most of these sort of cult 80s fantasy movies... It had massively strong home video sales, which bolstered the takings of the movie. Willow was nominated for two Oscars in 1989 for Best Effects, Sound Effects Editing and Best Effects, Visual Effects. But it actually lost both to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was obviously a previous episode on this podcast. And I do like to reference previous episodes. Undoubtedly, when we talk about these older movies, I think it's only kind of natural that Hollywood tends to go back to previous movies and either do a sequel or a reboot or a remake. And Willow is kind of no exception in that regard. Um, A TV series has been kind of mooted and talked about since 2005. And Warwick Davis has always expressed a keen interest to go back to playing Willow. Um, And interestingly, with the new Disney Plus streaming service, and Disney now owning Lucasfilm and so ergo owning the rights to Willow, Ron Howard recently announced a television series is in the early stages of development for that platform and Warwick Davis will be reprising his role. I mean, yet another reason to get Disney Plus, although Disney haven't actually announced when the UK will get this. So I guess with most things, we will just have to wait. Right, so... I always ask social media for thoughts on the movies that I cover and I've not had very many about Willow to be fair I kind of expected more but anyway it doesn't matter it's quality not quantity. Um, So on Twitter at 30 podcast said vividly remember the trailers toys merchandise then finally seeing it in theatres blew my little mind away for years I never watched a Harry Potter movie didn't get the books until reading them with my kids and would always tell people if I want to watch a movie about magic I'm watching Willow which is sweet um at Gundam Giver said an underrated classic of the genre Val Kilmer is so wonderfully over the top as Mad Martigan whilst Warwick Davis portrays such a heartfelt earnestness such a fun movie not my favorite Ron Howard film Apollo 13 but a gem nonetheless and over on Instagram 
I had Shenanigans83, who's a friend of mine, Sheena. She's put in big capital letters, Willow was my favourite movie when I was a kid. (laughs) She also put, I still love it and recently introduced it to the monsters. The brownies are my favourite. And I have to stress, when she says monsters, she means her children, not actual physical monsters. Um, I also had comments from R. Cartagaya H24 saying, Migosh for the win. Migosh is Willow's friend uh, that accompanies him for part of the journey. Uh, Lepi Laddie said, Willow is a magical film that you don't want to miss. Uh, at Warwick A. Davis stole the show, his best performance of all time. And I would absolutely agree with that because I kind of feel with Warwick Davis for a lot of his performances he's either behind you know massive makeup um, as in Harry Potter or uh, a costume in Star Wars and it's very rare that you actually get to see the man Warwick Davis in the in roles like this but to see him emote so much and and literally be the heart of this movie is so wonderful and that's why we need more Warwick Davis in our movies he's a great guy a great actor he always comes across so lovely in interviews really humble and we need to see more Warwick Davis Warwick Davis I want to see you in more movies and finally uh Gina Tinell just replied with heart emojis so clearly a lot of love for this movie I love fantasy movies in general. Um, A lot of my childhood was spent watching Willow and Labyrinth and Krull um, especially. And I'd love to cover Labyrinth or Krull for that matter. But I chose Willow because I feel like it deserves more love than it gets. I feel like it's been forgotten. Um, It has this charming central performance by Warwick Davis. Again, an actor who I feel like people just don't recognise his worth as an actor. He is worth watching on his own. And the effects will blow your mind. Bear in mind, these effects are 31 years old. So they're never going to be anything to match what we're used to now. But if you bear that in mind, they're 31 years old and you watch this movie, I promise you, you'll be blown away. It's a wonderful family movie. It does have scary moments. It's probably not for really young children, but for slightly older children, um, it's sort of the perfect kind of weekend family movie. I would recommend that you watch any sort of 80s fantasy movie in general. Uh, Obviously, The NeverEnding Story also I watched a lot of uh, the time as a kid. But I find that because Willow, it's a very simple story and it's very easy to follow. Um, So that kind of makes it a bit more accessible, I think. Basically, what I'm saying is is if you have kids, watch Willow. Even if you don't have kids, watch Willow. Or just watch it for Allura Danan. Because Allura Danan must survive. She must fulfil her destiny and bring about the downfall of Queen Bavmorda. Her powers are growing like an evil plague. Unless she is stopped, Bavmorda will control the lives of your village, your children, everyone. All creatures of good heart need your help, listeners. The choice is yours. Thank you for listening to this episode on Willow. As always, I love to hear people's thoughts on the movies that I cover. So please get in touch and let me know your thoughts on Willow. So we're coming up to the end of Augustravaganza and... My next episode will be out shortly and it's a special one because it's for my birthday and for my birthday I'm going to be doing one of my favourite animated movies of all time 
the Iron Giant. So the Iron Giant is actually going to be coming out on Saturday, August the 31st, which is in less than a week. Oh my. Um, If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on list. List time. Here we go. Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992 and 2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix and John Carter. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions at verbaldiorama at gmail.com. If you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, I keep mentioning reviews all the time, but it's really well worth it and it's so wonderful to get them. You can do so on iTunes and I'd really appreciate that. Now, usually I mention my Kofi account. However, as I've said before, I'm not accepting Kofi donations in August uh, because of extravaganza. And I don't want anything for myself um, because it's my birthday this month. So I'll probably get some nice things. Um, so instead of donating anything to me or this podcast, if you want to support the show, please make a donation to Shine. They are a small UK based charity who support babies and small children with spina bifida, hydrocephalus and other related conditions. And they provide valuable advice and support to their families. As always, I'll put a link in the show notes. But otherwise, their website is shinecharity.org.uk slash donate. And if I do get any Kofi donations during the month of August, I'm just going to pop them over to Shine. Usually at the end of the podcast, I like to say something really witty or something that I would consider witty. But I'm just going to leave you with this and say, rest in peace, James Horner. You did good, sir. <laughs>